again. You're listening on the mic with Mike Peters. It is about four o'clock in the morning. Just got back from a show, and I figured, hey, why not work on a podcast? That's what you do when you have three cats in the house, and they're giving you the silent treatment. Welcome to my pathetic life. You guys are really going to enjoy this episode. I spoke to Charlie Wildey. He's an Ithaca comedian, worked in Rochester, New York City, went to school at BYU, and then decided to step away from the Mormon church. He led me through that entire decision, and it is fascinating. So we talked about that, punk rock, Taco Bell. Thank God we finally covered that subject. I have been dying to talk about Taco Bell. But Charlie is really introspective, just puts a whole lot of thought in every decision he makes. If you like what you hear, please follow along on Facebook and Instagram at On The Mic with Mike Peters, and on Twitter at OTMW Mike Peters. Please rate and review the podcast. It means a whole lot. I will see you guys again next week. Take care. Peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in. Charlie Wildy, thank you so much for coming here. Yeah, happy to be here. I don't think that's true. I, it is true. Okay. You came all the way up to Ithaca, which is close to where I am, and <laughs> we're in a, uh, in a cool library. Why do you, not? Do you know this is the fourth library I've done this show? Okay, yeah. wouldn't name the libraries. Uh, I forget the exact name. Oh, you know, uh, I named the well, places. Of okay, the library. So I don't remember li- the name of this Liverpool library. Liverpool okay. was in one in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Okay. I just did one in, uh, it's the DeWitt Library in Syracuse. Okay. In Tompkins County, Community, or Tompkins County Public Library. Yeah, here we are. I have not been been to the Binghamton Library, yeah. and that's where I live. Yeah. Like, well, the, why would you go there? I don't know. I think the only reason I was ever, I went to New York City Library once to uh-huh. charge my phone. Sure. And that's it. Did they have, like, just to get an outlet is what you mean, or did they have, like, chargers? Oh, no, there? just an outlet. You just I stay there, yeah. It's I'm like, like a quiet place yeah, where you yep. can sit and have an outlet. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. it. And I charge my phone for about 20 minutes. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm allergic to books. I need right. to leave. Sure. Get, so get the hell out of here. Yep. First of all. You're an Ithaca comedian? I don't know what you yeah, are. Yeah, who knows? I, I, yeah. uh, You're a vagabond. Right, yeah. yeah. I say, on, at some point I said on my social media, I, I identified as living in Ithaca, yeah. and that was when I was living in Dryden. And I now live in Interlaken, which is not any further than Dryden is, but it feels further, like Because nobody's ever heard of the town? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And it's small, and everybody looks down their nose at it, because it's this little rural town up in Seneca County. I think it's the county line. I think that's the difference. Oh, okay. Dryden is in Tompkins County. Boy, this is boring. We're, we're starting oh, right up. without but, a doubt. But these are never yeah, interesting. Yeah. So, so on, on my social media, I usually say that I live in the Finger Lakes. I okay. say, like, that's because, like, no one knows what Interlaken is, but you've heard of the Finger Lakes. Interlaken is basically the dead center of the Finger Lakes. Okay. I'm about halfway between Geneva, Watkins, and Ithaca. Like we're, I'm like equidistant to all those communities. But Ithaca is the most artistically vibrant of those communities, and it's where my wife and I work. So that's this is, this is kind of our hub. This is where we're based. Oh, okay, yeah. that makes sense. So, so Ithaca. I first met you in Cortland, which is yeah. where all true love stories start. Sure. In yeah. Cortland, New York. Yeah, Cortland, the beautiful, yeah, the beautiful Cortland, New York. I don't think they're ever going to do a show again there. No? We did, did they do that one and they did never two. did any others? Did okay, they did a couple there. Okay. Yeah, and uh, the first time, everybody was there for it. That was great. Uh, yeah, just it was, I had a blast. everything was on. Yeah. And the second time, they didn't plug it or anything. Mm. We just interrupted dinners. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Right. And then it was bound like, to happen. No more than that. Okay. No, no, no more. Yeah. But I met you there. I was really, I thought you were really funny. And I don't anymore, but yeah, yeah, it, right. was, it was fleeting. Yeah, no, I mean, after a couple of times, you're like, I get it. <laughs> yeah. So how'd you get your start? All right, so I started doing comedy in Rochester, 
which is sort of where I'm from, sort of same like how Interlaken is not Ithaca, and I'm not really from Rochester, right. but I but I started doing comedy in Rochester, and it was in 2011 or 2012, I think. And it was because I, so I, I always liked performing, just in yeah. general. So, you know, like I did theater in high school. I knew you and, did theater. Uh, like, I just, you yeah, never told no, me. I, I I'm, I'm like a, th- I'm, a yeah. I, I'm a guy who probably did theater in right. high school, yeah. And from a small high school, right, where like the, the, where there wasn't that much male talent. So I knew that if I was like a tenor who could kind of sing, that I'd probably get the lead. Right. And like I did, you know, and it's not because I was like, like a rock star going to set the world on fire. It's just, there's like four other guys there, and I was just like a little bit better than the Charlie others. Charlie Default. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yep. So then when I was in, in college in Utah, I played in some punk bands, and then when I moved back to Rochester, there wasn't much of a punk scene in Rochester at the time. That there's surprised a pretty, there's me. A pretty, yeah, it surprised me too. Okay. I was really shocked. There is a pretty vibrant punk scene there now, and I think that there was a little bit of one. I just couldn't find it yet. And everything I was seeing was, like, kind of hipstery, indie, folky stuff. Like that, like, you know, uh, like the Bon Iver kind of, like, yeah. uh, whispery type of folk. And I didn't like it. It was just hipster shit to me. And so I, all of my friends who I was hanging out with, including uh, a good friend of mine from high school, Colin Burgess, he was just doing comedy. And so I was hanging out with my buddies. They were at open mics, so I was just hanging out at open mics. And after a couple weeks of that, I was like, I, I want to be on stage. I yeah. miss being on stage. I could probably put a set together. So I, I got up at, at the Boulder in the South Wedge on the, the Sunday night open mic and uh, started a summer, a summer of 2012, I think is when that was. What similarities are there between punk rock and, and doing comedy? Well, I think it's mostly the performative aspect of it. Yeah. I love being on stage. I, I think that, like, you can talk about, like, the stuff of, like, punk and speaking truth to power and, and whatever else. I, I don't know that I care that much about those connections. Um, I don't think I incorporate too much of a punk ethos into my comedy, necessarily, other than, like, maybe the DIY aspect right, right. of it and stuff like that. Punk is still, like, it is always going to be, like, a part of my background, and it's, like, where I spend a lot of my time musically still, you know? But comedy is just, like, it's it's something that, like, comes relatively natural to me, and I just really enjoy being on stage, and it's the... I'm not, comedy's not easy. No one's ever going to tell you that comedy's easy, but it's the lowest impact way to get on stage. Right. I can just show up and do it, right? I don't need to even carry an instrument with me. I don't need to learn a song, which you do need to do for music. If I were to do theater, you need to, like, go to rehearsals and learn the line. Like, every other type of performance, there's, like, extra kind of apparatus of, in some way. And, like, with comedy, like, you develop an act, right? And you need to work on material. But otherwise, like... Tonight, I don't have a show, but, like, if I were to walk down the street and somebody was like, hey, can you come do 10 minutes? Right. I'd be like, yes, I can right now. I, anytime, if you, like, give me a microphone, I could, like, do comedy at any moment. And so especially as my life has gone down a time where I have less and less free evenings f- for, like, creative stuff. You mean a kid. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, the, the, it's just, like, it's the the way that I can still, like, it doesn't require that much time for me to be able to... I can go out, I can be thinking about jokes, I can be working on stuff in my head, and then, like, whenever I get a chance, I can go up. And, like, I, I can still, like, kind of just go do it. So that's where, that's where comedy is for me. Where'd you go to college? Uh, well, I did two years at Brigham Young University. Yeah. Does so, Utah have another college? Uh, yeah, there's actually <laughs> a ton. I just, it, no, it's, it's a huge state. It is. It's, so it's really confusing because... So there's BYU is the one that everyone's heard of, but then there's a bunch that all have the same 
names, pretty much, and it's really, really confusing because there's U of U, there's USU, there's so so there's the University of Utah, Utah State, uh, Utah State Southern University of U- Utah, the Utah Valley University UVU. So there's like all of these. Are, there's like six that have like the same basic name. I went to BYU though for so my uh, I did my freshman year at BYU and then I did my two year Mormon mission. And then I came home and almost immediately left the Mormon church pretty shortly after coming home from my mission. But I was still, I was already registered for classes at BYU for my sophomore year. I already signed a lease for an apartment for a year. Oh, so I went to BYU as a sophomore as an atheist uh, that I was not allowed to like let people know I was an atheist. So do you have to register as that? Well, as what? As an atheist? Yeah. Well, they would have just straight up kicked me out, I think. If... I, w- you need to have some kind of you, you don't have to be Mormon to be at BYU but right. you have to have ecclesiastical endorsement okay and I could have had my ecclesiastical endorsement uh, revoked if they had found out that I was like not practicing Mormonist stuff Wh- what'd you do for the missionary uh, I was in Germany so I did two okay. years in Germany with the idea is that you're supposed to be like knocking doors and and converting people Germans are not particularly interested in finding out about a new religion. Well, um, that's weird. Yeah. Germans are afraid of... They don't like it when people knock when, on their doors. Right, and, and like bring a message out of nowhere. Weird. Like, yeah, people yeah. dressed all the same in a uniform <laughs> showing up. And, yep, yep. No, a little hesitant about that. the other bootstep, yeah. you know? And in Germany, so like in East Germany, right, they were under the USSR too. So yeah. everyone who was in East Germany was raised with no religion because they were raised, you know, in Soviet East Germany, basically. Everyone in West Germany, either they have been Catholic for like 1,500 years, right, since the Catholic Church was invented, or they've been Lutheran since Luther did this 99 Theses in Germany, right? Like that's where Lutheranism is from too. So people aren't religious as much as they've just always had this label, right? Like the people who are Lutheran, they've just been Lutheran for like 600 generations or whatever since like the very beginning of it. So they just, people just didn't want to hear about it. I didn't want to convert people either. That was not very fun It doesn't for seem me. like your style. No. Like, and like you, for, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're just like, you get along with people. Yeah. And I think you're very inquisitive. Right. And respectful. Yeah. So if you get the impression that, oh, they're not into it. Yeah, I'll back off. My, we'll just be friends. My favorite people to talk to in Germany were the atheists because they would be the ones who had thought about it. Because if they were like raised in West Germany, they were probably raised Catholic or whatever. But they, if they identified as an atheist, that meant that they'd been like, oh, I thought about this God thing and I decided it doesn't make sense. So I love talking to those people because then I could actually like engage with them. Like I really love just talking to people and meeting people. And I had, um, you know, they... I don't know how much you know about, like, more missions, but they have, like, very strict sets of rules, right? right? So you're not supposed to, like, watch TV, watch movies, listen to music, read any books that aren't the scriptures. You're supposed to be out of bed at a certain time, back in your apartment by a certain time. You're not allowed to be away from your companion at any time, look at magazine, you know, all of these rules, right? And I basically didn't follow any of those rules, at, but I would kind of let my companion decide what mission they wanted to serve. So I'm always with a companion, and I would always just kind of be like, all right, I'm not going to get in the way. You're here taking two years out of your life, and it's really important to you, and I get that. So I would just kind of go to the level that they would want to go. And then, like, on P-Day, which is, like, the day off that you get, you're supposed to email your family. Then on P-Day, I'd just get on YouTube and listen to all oh, the okay. music I'd been missing out on Catch and up. stuff. Yeah. So I had a couple companions who were, like, way into comic books or way into board games and a few who we would just go to the Internet Cafe and play Warcraft 3 against each other for, like, hours and hours and hours. So I had a few, like, 
periods where we were very disobedient missionaries. They called it black missionaries. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah. Well, it's <laughs> that's that's an old. So like yeah. in in uh, in like Nazi Germany, if there was radio that was like against the Nazi regime, it was called Schwarzradio, which is black radio. And, I know what that means. Yeah. And then if, exactly. <laughs> and if you're if you're riding a, a train without a ticket, that's uh, Schwarzfahren, which is right. black riding, basically. So so it comes from that. There were black missionaries Man, and white missionaries. Black people got the shaft on everything. Well, hey, Germany, they shaft, Germany, yeah, that's true. They, <laughs> they did get that. Germany, uh, they love to make fun of America for being racist and stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, you guys, what? <laughs> Ger- you guys? And they're they're st- they uh, Germany's great in a lot of ways. Right. Still, still very structurally racist. So anyway, so 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 I had a tough time on my mission because of all that stuff. And then so when, how far into your mission did you? I mean, you probably had those thoughts before you went, but, like, yeah. when did it really, like, click home that, you know, this isn't for me? Right. So it, it was a couple kind of things. So I had a lot of trouble with the mission president. So they every mission has a mission president who's, like, the boss of that area. And he's usually an old retired man. Ours was relatively young, but he was, like, this uber-rich venture capitalist. Like, you can look him up on, like, the Forbes list if you want. And he was a bad guy. He was like a bad man. And I saw him and knew him, and I, I, like, I could recognize in his behavior, this is a bad man. And I knew that it's like, okay, this, this guy's supposedly chosen by God to be like the authority over us, and I don't believe that he's doing the right thing. So that was like the first kind of crack that I was like, not all authority figures in the church are good. Like this guy's been selected by God and is bad. Yeah. So that was a big part of it. And then there was just uh, just a handful of other things where, like, there was this guy we were trying to help, and he was doing like everything that he was supposed to be doing as uh, as far as the church was concerned, right? He was giving up smoking, and he was, like, making this effort, and he w- he eventually got baptized, which is the goal, right? Like, And uh, so we got him baptized, and then the next week he didn't come to church, and then he showed up at the end not wearing, like, church clothes, and he wanted to talk to the bishop, and he just said, like, I, I want to have my name removed from the records. That so, quickly? Yeah. So what had ha- he, he was a mentally ill person who needed more help. He needed actual help was the thing. He needed, like, actual, like, I don't know if it would have been medication or professional help in terms of therapy or whatever. But he was hoping to get something from God that God didn't provide for him, basically. So... I saw on my end, like, we had been promised, like, as missionaries, like, oh, if you get your investigators to do make these commitments and follow these rules and get baptized, then God will help them. And then I even saw, like, the members of the church in the area reaching out to him and helping him and befriending him, which does not necessarily always happen in Germany. They're very, uh, they're cold people a lot of times. It can be tough for them to, like, warm up to new people. And so basically I saw everyone holding up their end of the bargain except God, right? God was the one component that didn't fulfill the promise and so that was like really rough on me and I I, at that point was spending days on my mission wondering does God exist at all like I would be like reading in the scriptures to try to like figure out like are there logical explanations about God. And you're what 1920? That's when yeah yeah, I would have been probably about 20 at this you leave when you're 19 come home about 21. And it was just too rough that I had to make this decision. I was like, okay, I want to finish my mission. I can't do this here now. It hurts too much because my whole life is structured around the church. I couldn't have those doubts and be a happy person. So I had to, like, kind of compartmentalize it and be like, I'm just going to finish my mission strong. And my intention was to come home 
and to be a good Mormon because I wanted to come home and be the Mormon that I knew the church needed. I had yeah. learned what the church needed. And I was like, I'm going to be the one who like the missionaries like and I, I help out and stuff. But basically I came home and then the doubts started coming back up. And I started to see my friends who were not Mormon who would like drink every once in a while or, uh, or whatever, but they were still good people. And I started to see that the Mormon church presents itself as the correct answer. And I saw that it just definitively isn't. There I are watched, multiple answers. I watched a South Park episode, and they did say the Mormons are the right answer. Yeah, that's true. You know? yeah. So They must have been, uh, man, I should go back. Is it too late? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't back? think so. Yeah, I'll talk to my dad. He'll, he'll be <laughs> stoked. So, yeah, I, that, that was kind of, that was it. Like, I saw, like, people with good families being good people, being smart, and uh, not needing this one specific brand of ideology to still be good people. And so, so I kind of, I left at that point and then never went back, I guess. Any regrets? No, no, no regrets. It took a long time to kind of rebuild, you know, it had been my life philosophy, my worldview for my whole life up to that point, right? I was born into it. And so when I removed it, I, I real there was like a, a year or two where I had to like put in the work to be like, well, what is my worldview now? I was like, what do I believe? And, uh, and I had to like do some really searching around like what what's truth what's morality like without god and stuff and so after but that was a fun process that's when i got into punk rock right and you know and uh, but yeah here we are now and and that's it's all good i'm not religious at all like i yeah. I, I would say i'm agnostic yeah because like, i'm and i say this because there might be a god there might not be a god i am wrong an awful lot of times <laughs> right so i'm not going to choose Tough one side to i'm make. like sure, whatever yeah. you know yeah. but i always believe that like say there is an afterlife if you're a decent person you're fine. You should be fine. I've watched The Good Place, and it's a great show. Great show. So now I'm worried about it. But, yeah, sure. but like, I treat everybody for the most part. Yeah. You know how I want to be treated. Yeah. And I think that's enough. Like, yeah. If, if there's if there, a God, there's going to be sorting and, us, and he or she is reasonable, that should be enough. Yeah. I yeah completely. So I'm like whatever. I don't need. I don't need. I I stopped going to church when I got too big for my mom to stop dragging me out mm-hmm. of the bedroom. What church? So, did, what church was that? Uh, I was Presbyterian. Yeah. So okay. I was in Endicott, New York, and sure. and I just hated it. And my mom would say, hey, if you go to church, we'll go shopping afterward, for uh-huh. grocery, grocery shopping afterward, and I'll get you all the Pringles you want. There you and go. I'm like, oh, okay. Pring- so I'm like, Pringles. I'm like, oh, yeah, so sour cream and onion. Yeah. Great kind. But it's like Pringles or Jesus. Pringles or Jesus. That probably isn't the measuring point. Eventually, you, you can want. just get the Pringles on your own. Exactly. Yeah. They only a $1.39 at the time. Yeah. It was fine. Sure. But yeah, it was like she had to she had to dangle this carrot. Oh, McDonald's for lunch, and <laughs> yep, you know yep. she really looked after my health. But like, eventually she's like, "Screw it, it's yeah. not worth it." Yeah. And I remember we went to church one time. My my brother's in Sunday school, and my mom was like, "She's not fighting with me. Just go." She's like, "Go and hang out with me." She never went to church. She she got a, she's a kindergarten teacher. She uh, got a study room off the side and did her home or her schoolwork. While I played Game Boy right next to her. Wow. And we waited for my brother Just to get out in of... the church building? Yeah. Yeah. Because she dropped off my brother. We went to this room and uh-huh. we hung out for like an hour. My brother came out of Sunday school and we left. Is your brother still like in it? Is no. Is still like a... Th- okay. No, no. It, my mom was like... She was Catholic and yeah. she didn't want to put in the work right. to get us whatever... Confirmed. Yeah, everything. Yeah, she was yeah. like, no way. She went through that. And she had four kids. She's not going to do that. Yeah. So my mom is lazy and, and probably because <laughs> of that... 
I have saved so much time on Sundays. Presbyterian's probably a good brand for that. Yeah, yeah. It's it just was, like it, it was fine. Just do as much as you want there. But like, I think none of none of my family is really religious, mm-hmm. and you know, my parents play church services. They play the instruments, and they get paid for it. Sure. I've made more money from Jesus when yeah. I was a kid than I ever gave. Nice. So I'm like, okay. whatever, you know. But yeah, I just, you know, that's that's tough, man. But I, you know, for me, I was like, eh, yeah, whatever. So you started, uh, you moved back to Rochester. Right. You, you moved into New York City, too. You yeah, did, right. No. So I, I, um, I moved from BYU to Rochester. I, I finished college by, uh, at SUNY Brockport, and I was doing comedy the whole time there. And then you know, three years after that, I guess I moved to, moved to New York. So I, I, I think I had been doing it for maybe three or four, and then we moved to New York. And you hooked up with a, a bunch of guys from, like, because Mikey Heller... Yeah, that was all in Rochester. Okay, That was all right when I started, basically. So my friend Colin Burgess from high school, he and I, like, did little comedy videos and stuff back in, like, classes in high school. And so then when I went back to Rochester, he was a good buddy of mine, and we were living in this house in the South Wedge neighborhood. And the people that we were hanging out with were uh, Lucas Gardner, Mikey Heller, Colin... And do we love it? And then John Shuda was a friend of Mikey's from college. They went to Ithaca College okay. here. And so they all started this group. Basically, basically, like, Mikey and John used to do this, like, inside joke about the Gamma Omicron Omega house. It was like a fake. That just reminds uh, me of Futurama. Yeah, it was just like a fake a what, frat. What was the, what was the did. did you ever watch that? Yeah, it's like uh, Omicron Percy 8. I, Percy Omicron I, Omicron 8, 8, 8 right? right. Yep. I am Lur, yep. right? Yep. yep. Uh, <laughs> And so, so they started this, it, it was called Goo House, but it started as this fake frat where it was just like they would do character comedy and they would record like tapes and stuff. But then they put together this group in Rochester and I got into it then. And I was brand new at comedy when they were doing Goo House for that first year. We did a show every month for that year. And there were like variety shows, very like alt and stuff. There would be like character bits. Uh, we did this bit that was crowd work robot where like there was we built this uh, a we I, I had nothing to do with the construction of it. Mikey Heller built this robot and someone was inside it and then Lucas was off stage doing the voice of crowd work robot where it was a robot that had just been programmed to do yeah. crowd work and and stuff like that. And I would always do these like written pieces a lot of times. I would like read stories or I did like a choose your own adventure that the audience would pick like where we were going and stuff like that. So it was always kind of like high concept like all underground weirdo comedy and I was not very good at comedy through like the whole time of it and because I was was still brand new and I kept wanting to quit because I felt like I wasn't contributing anything but I didn't want to quit because I felt like it was the only thing that I was doing okay like you know so like I if people were like hey what have you been up to I could always be like well I'm in this comedy group we got a show coming up and like without being in a band, I wanted something to be like, this is the thing I'm working on. This is the thing I can point to and say this is what I'm doing. So I stuck in it. And then finally, when, when after about a year, everyone else moved and we weren't doing shows as regularly, but that's when I started to feel like I was getting funny at comedy. So then I just kept doing timing. it because I thought, well, yeah, but, th- but it was good for me to find my own voice kind of like outside of that group. And, and I felt like I kind of came into my own as a performer in the, the next year of comedy. And then I went to, to New York where there still are a couple of those people. John Shuda and Colin are still there. Mikey, Dewey, and Lucas are all in L.A. And, uh, and that's the group. That's everybody. I follow Mikey on Twitter. Funny guy. Yeah, he does all these drawings. Like yeah. The, like four panel drawings. Little car- yeah. The guy must have endless amounts of ideas. Well, I think that he, uh, I, I don't know that he would say that they're ideas or not. I think it's just he kind of made this commitment last year to do one every day. Oh, okay. And I think he just like 
will put something down even if it, there is no idea there. Like he'll just start with like just something and then just like it, it will, the structured will not necessarily always build to a joke and that keeps you guessing all the time when you're reading. There's such a treat. Anyone yeah. listening, you gotta, it's just gotta Mikey look Heller. up Mikey Heller. Yeah. And just like it's at Mikey Heller, yeah. right? And, yeah, and, and it's he posts like, them on his Instagram and on his Facebook too. So Yeah, I think I found and, him on Facebook uh, as well. Time Travel was this webcomic that he did. He started it in college. He was doing it for a long, long time and he stopped doing that but you can still like Time Travel and he posts these to those feeds as well it's like uh he'll post something like i drew something about a cake yeah and it'll like i'm a cake and then yeah. it'll like take you through like a four-part mini series right of you know the cake cake's demise or it's not even how you expect it to happen no it never you never see where it's gone yeah it'll be like the cake ate a person like that's for revenge <laughs> yeah or hey that's that's an idea for that's him. it there it is but i mean yeah so how when did you move to new york i moved to new york in summer of 2015 did you get a lot of stage um, time there uh, yeah, I mean, I got as much stage time as somebody who went to open mics every day. You okay. know, I would go to like a couple mics pretty much every day. Towards the end of it, I was doing it less because at a certain point, I felt like I wasn't I wasn't getting anything productive out of being on stage that much, and my material was getting worse. And so I would take a day or two off a week, but I would still I had some regular mics that I would go to, and then I would switch it up to find some new ones every once in a while. So I'd get on stage at mics. At least, like minimum, I'd say three to four times every week, and then if you're out that much, then you get booked on like the little back of the bar shows. Right. And uh, so I did a few of those. I was able to host a couple shows at places that are all gone, but I, you know, I was able to work with a lot of people who you know are on TV now and stuff like that. So it was a lot of fun to when when I was I was doing a, helping out a show. There's a guy named Jimmy who's in Rochester again now. I think he's kind of back and forth. And he was doing this show at, on Sunday nights at Bunga's Den. And I, he would have me host that pretty often. He would bring me in to host. And one of the first couple of times he was like, hey, uh, we've got two or three extra slots. Like, you can book whoever you want for it. One of the people I booked, reached out to to book this, like, first opportunity I had to book was Julio Torres, who's now, like, an SNL writer. Yeah. And he's on Losa Spookies on HBO. And it's, like, it's like really a, a cool thing for me to, like, look back and be like, I had I had, like, I just, like, Facebook messaged Julio right. Torres because he's, like, a guy I had seen, and he was, like, friends with friends of mine. And so I just, like, I put him on this dumb bar show, and, like, now he's, like, you know. M- maybe I'm, because of you. It could have been that it was his big break was, was <laughs> that Sunday night at Bunga's Den. Thank goodness for me, right? That's good. Yeah. Maybe. maybe the uh, kingmaker. Right, exactly. Yeah. Lauren Michaels should get a hold of you yeah, exactly. for staffing. We're waiting. Yeah. yeah. So that's why we came to the library. Exactly. I hear it hangs where Lauren Michaels I, is always hanging I out. Yeah. I hear it. You yeah. know. Uh, how much do you think, or how similar are New, the New York scene to Rochester? I mean, obviously it's different. It's a bigger town. You get more opportunities probably in the city. It's tough to say, and I, and I think that the Rochester scene probably changes a lot a, a year over year because of like turnover. People don't stay in it for that long. Either they move on to a bigger city, or they just stop doing it. Like there's always gonna, there's some stalwarts who have been there for a long time who will be there, but it's it's tough to identify a Rochester scene because of the kind of fluid nature yeah. of it there. And the thing with New York is that there's so much of it that there's every different type of scene, right? There are, like, the kind of more standard clubby type guys, and then there's the weirdo stuff, and there's everything in between, you know? And the big struggle for me was that I had, as somebody from Rochester, uh, which is like a medium-sized city, you know, like on the small end of medium or something, I had never... It was the same thing like, like we were talking about when I was in theater in high school. 
I was always pretty good. I was like always okay, you know? And it had always been like if you do your best and you show up, then people, that's good enough. And people will start wanting to work with you because you're just like doing your best and showing up. And in New York, it's, I, I just expected it was going to keep being like that for my whole life because it had always been like that everywhere I went. And in New York, it's not necessarily that way because there's so many people that it was the first time I ever had to take like this raw like talent as a metric. Like you, you think about talent and we talk about mm-hmm. it and stuff, but the American philosophy or whatever is that if you work hard, you can get better at something and succeed at it. And I don't think that that takes into account that there is an innate amount of talent that a person either has or does not have. Right. It's like we don't all start with 50% right. and, and work our and way up. Even if you work so, so hard, there's going to be somebody who's born with way more talent that it doesn't have to work as hard to achieve that level of talent. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I had never really had to face that until I was in New York where I was like burning myself out to just not be as good as most of the people around me. There are people around me who I was like, I'll just never, no matter how hard I ever work every day, and no matter how much I think about it and how much effort I put into my material and like hone the craft, which that is an element to it. That's all valuable stuff that everyone needs to and should do. But I was like, I'll never, uh, there are people who will just always be more talented no matter what. And that was like, that was a really tough Thing to have to reckon with and learn, I guess. Well, I, I'll go back to SNL. What's your favorite class? I mean, like the your, SNL group. Yeah, favorite era. I, I think I don't think I have one. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think my stance on SNL is that it's pretty much always about a B plus, and there are always great people on there and memorable sketches from every era. So I don't know that I have a favorite one, but usually a lot of people say that it was whoever was on when you were in high school. Yeah. And I think that's probably true. I think we watched the same movie. You ever watch Don't Think Twice by Brooklyn? Oh, I did, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's pretty much right. Yeah. Heard that before. Uh, Not that it's not original thought. No. But what you said, like my favorite era is when I was a kid. Yeah. And it was um, Sandler, Chris Rock, Farley, Spade. Most of those guys were super young when they got hired. Yep. And uh, Paul Kozlowski, who's a comedian around Cortland, he said that he saw Sandler when he was that young. And he goes, you could just tell mm-hmm. he was going to do something big. Maybe not billionaire big, but, right. but you know, he just Yeah, had, it was and, in it. You yeah, and, like, it in him. Yeah. who knows how much natural talent that guy had to, to his work ethic. Totally. But it's like, I'm guessing, like, a, a guy like Pete Davidson right. was super young when he got hired, too. Yep. He probably had so much talent. Yeah. That you know the work ethic came secondary, right? Or it's hurting them now, or whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't know Pete. Yeah, sure. But and, and no, and it's tough to say. Like I think that there's, you know, there are those three elements: there's talent, work, and luck, right? Those three things that you need some combination of those things. And you, the only one that you can affect is work. That's the only one that you actually have any real control over. You can definitely, like, you know, when it comes to talent, you can get better at something. But there's still just that, I think that the, it's baked in, uh, a certain amount of it is baked into individuals of, of, of any art form, obviously, right? Like, you could work as hard as you want and not be David Bowie. David Bowie right. was David Bowie. No one else is ever going to be able to do that, you know? And, and so I think it's kind of the same in comedy. There are some people who are just like, well, that guy's just so good, right? Right. So you met your wife in New York. And I met my wife off, in New York, yeah. Came back. Right, yeah. So um, we met... But we were both brand new. She a comedian uh, too? No, she is. Uh, she's in digital media. Okay. At the time, she was working in post production for Sesame Street. And I've we, heard of that show. Yeah, it's uh, it's up and coming show. HBO just picked <laughs> it up a couple of years ago. She yeah. So she's from 
this area, kind of. Um, she said Binghamton is what she said. Because same kind of, kind of thing where, like, she's from a right. really small town that's but not. But no one else would know this. Right. So when, when she said to Binghamton to me, and I honestly, as a Rochesterian, had never even really. I, I knew the word Binghamton, yeah. but I was like, oh, that's super close to me. And I never really realized it's, like, What's her way home? down south. What's her hometown? Uh, she's from uh, Bleep uh, Bainbridge. I don't. You don't oh yeah, yeah. No, that, guess, that's but. that's super small. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like halfway between Binghamton. That's not and even Binghamton. Like, real small. I mean, not even. No, it's nothing. Yeah, it's it's, it's a, more like Harpersville or it's a real whatever, tiny, real tiny. Again, town. you don't know Harpersville either. Exactly. So, so yeah, yeah. So we met. Uh, she had just moved to New York too. We we had just barely both been there like a month, and uh, we met on Tinder. And, you, um, you know, had some dates and it was all on again, off again for a little while, but then it was on again. And uh, almost immediately after it was on again, uh, I found out that she was pregnant and uh, we had to decide what to do. And we thought about staying Maury in the city. or Jerry Springer? Well, we, we, well, I went for both okay, because okay. I wasn't going to trust just one of them. You know That's what I mean? Smart so, guy. Yeah. I, I mean, Steve Wilk goes to break the tie too. Sure, yeah, true. Yep. And then afterwards, we went over to Steve Harvey just for some advice. Right. And he helped right. us out. Gave um, you at least a, a purple suit or something. Yeah, right. I mean, I never wear it. It doesn't look as good on no. me as it did on him, but he's, right. he's got a bigger frame than me. Sure does. Um, yeah, so, so we, you know, we didn't know what to do. We didn't, we, at first, we were like, should we stay? Like, I yeah. had a job in New York, and I was like, I, if we leave, I'm, I won't have a job. And I'll have to, you know, if we stay, I at least know that. But we were just looking at it, and it was like, we didn't have family in the area. The cost of having a kid there, the logistics of getting a kid in and, like, a baby in and out of, like, right. the subway. And, like, there was just too many things. So, so we left. We went back upstate. And uh, Ithaca is basically halfway between her family and my family. And, and this is where we ended up. So that's how you make both your families disappointed. Exactly. Yeah. Good. Right. But equally disappointed. Good. Yeah. Are you, are you happy you're back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's de- there are definitely struggles. There's ups and downs. Uh, I'm going to say that again because I kicked the table. Yeah, that's fine. There are struggles. There's ups and downs. <laughs> you can keep that whole thing. Yeah, in. I will. Uh, I, I, and it's tough because, like, I always wanted to go to New York, you know? I For a long, most of my uh, teenage and adult life, I wanted to go to New York, and then I did. I moved to New York, and it was hard, but I was surviving there, and I had an okay job. I didn't have to worry about money. And I was just living in New York. It was a goal of mine that I accomplished, and then I just had to leave. And now I'm in the smallest town. It's, there's no street lights. There's a gas station that doesn't take cards at the pump. You have to go inside to pay, and it still might not work. There's nothing there. And it's like I thought the town I grew up in was a small town. And I'm not talking about Rochester. I'm, right. I'm talking Palmyra, where I grew up in. And, like, the place we're at now makes Palmyra look like a metropolis. And so, like, it is tough for me to, like... That, that part of it's hard sometimes, and, and, and it go, that goes back and forth. Like, sometimes I really come to terms with it, and I'm like, this is fine, this is cool, I can do whatever I want wherever I am, and it's good to be helping rural upstate New York instead of concentrating all of our youth and talent into, like, these big cities like New York. So I, there are things about it that I really like, and I'm, and I'm proud of our, uh, the things that we've done. But, it, you know, it's, sometimes it's still tough because it's like I was only in New York for a pretty short time, like, who knows what would have happened if I had, if I had stayed longer. I'll just, like, there will never be any way to find out. You know, my wife has to, is going through the same thing because she had dreams of being in, like, right. the television business. And she was accomplishing those dreams. And now she has to, like, try to be, like, in post-production or media and animation in a town that has just far fewer opportunities for development. So it, it's the same kind of thing for both of us. Like, we, we both 
are happy where we are. We're both happy with the decisions we made. We, every time we do this, like, hypothetical, we're always like, there's no way we could have done anything different. We, right. we wouldn't have done anything different. You know, I know that we started the conversation about me being Mormon, but I left the Mormon church, and, like, I didn't feel obligated to have a baby just because my girlfriend got pregnant. We, we talked about all of our options, you know. We made the decision to have a right. baby. We, we, we didn't need to make that decision. In that chain of events, there's, there's nothing that I, I would redo or change, I think. Like, being a dad's probably okay. The being a dad is great. It's exhausting. Yeah. It's tiring. It's all the boring stuff that everyone says all the time. I've never um, heard it's tiring. Yeah, it sure is. But it's great. It really, uh, sh- you know, she's, like, it's, it's such a delight to be around. And uh, my daughter, uh, right. uh, she's so funny. And so it's like... Yeah, it, it's it's awesome. It's great. Is she more like you or your wife? Definitely both. It's really yeah. funny to see both. Weird how that works. Yeah. I, I see the way that she gets frustrated with stuff is just like me. Like when she gets like really mad that she can't, if she can't like open a box or like strap her shoes or something, she gets so frustrated the same way that I am like when I'm playing Smash Brothers. Huh. It's, and it's so, it's like kind of a bummer to see like, I'm sorry that I did this to you. <laughs> this is going to suck for you your whole life. You're going to have to react like this. And uh, but it's but it's a real. She's super funny, and uh, it's she just, got so that it's, from your wife. Yeah, I mean, she must okay. have. Yeah, I, I don't know where else. But. <laughs> so yeah, that's and that's where we are. That's cool. What punk rock band got you first? Oh geez, I'm, I'm a huge huge punk rock fan. Yeah, I guess I don't. It wasn't really a famous punk band, is the thing. So I I liked music uh, in high school a lot, but it was like Radiohead and like experimental yeah. alt rock and stuff. And then it was when I w- went to Utah, I was friends with people from my mission who I was friends with through music, but they were into punk. And so when I was in Utah, there was this punk house called The Compound, and they used to just like have these underground punk shows just in this house. And that's just where I would go and hang out. So more than getting into like The Clash, who I love, yeah. you know, like if, if, if there's one like, you know, that, that era of punk, I got into that year, but it was because I was hanging out at The Compound and seeing like Taco Cat before, I mean, they're, they've kind of gotten big now, so, uh, but like Taco Cat, No Bunny, Shannon and the Clams, and then a bunch of even like lesser, like those, those are kind of small bands, but even bands that don't even exist anymore, like Bare Wires, White Mold. No, that was the album, The Trashies. The Trashies was the band. I don't know which is a better name um, for a band. Yeah, they were good. They were one of the last shows before the guy from the compound moved to Salt Lake. They smelled so bad. And they were doing this thing during the show. It was so like basically the bands would set up in like the kitchen and then the rest of like the audience would sit like in the living room because it was like an open concept. And uh, they were doing this thing where they were like in between each song, they would like gradually move their equipment further and further out <laughs> until they had taken up like half of the space of the, ho- of the house. And it was like all of these punks were just like cramped into this tiny little area. Just being Just because just just they were just like shoving their keyboard yeah. further out in between each song. And then we were all just so cramped. It was hilarious. Super, super fun. The first time I ever went to a show there, the cops came because we were too loud and we had to like, they weren't allowed to use amps for the rest of the show and so they were just strumming on like an unplugged guitar and the drummer was just hitting. Which makes no yeah, and discernible sound. For the rest of the, yeah, for the rest of the show and the drummer was hitting their drumsticks on the kitchen floor <laughs> and then we all went out and, and one, of, so the, one of those bands that night was an all-girl punk band that had like corpse paint, like full-on like black metal corpse paint and afterwards uh, a little group of us including that band went to this place called Beto's. It was a 24-hour Mexican place and I remember being in there 
and there was this like just these Provo guys, just these Utah yeah. like uh, salmon colored polo shirts buttoned all the way up type of guys, you know. And I saw these like khaki polo guys in there, and they were looking at us, and they were like seeing the band. And I heard one of them be like, "Come on, man, let's get out of here!" And they were like so uncomfortable. And I was like, "This rules! <laughs> I love that I'm making those squares so Screw uncomfortable the that they have to leave." <laughs> it was the best. It was a really, really happy moment for me. Do you ever see SLC Punk? I haven't, and you everyone haven't? always says, "Oh my god!" Like, yeah, well, I mean that, that story. Like, uh, it's about yeah. You know, I don't know how true it is, right? But it's about I think 1985, the Salt Lake City scene. Yeah, and it's just these punks going against the rednecks, mm-hmm. and there's one other faction. Okay. I think but it's punks and the oh Nazis. I okay, think. sure. Yeah. It might be rednecks, it might be Nazis, it might be the same thing. But yeah, and, and like every every word that came out of your mouth about that party, I just see yeah. like uh I think Bob and oh, fuck, I forget. I, I think it's actually Mike and Bob okay. or something like that in the punk house. Yeah. I'm like that's them. Yeah, I, there's definitely stuff I've talked about that people always say that it's like from SLC punk, I guess, cuz like I don't dress like a punk. Yeah. And I always like whenever people say you don't that I don't look like a punk, then I always go on my thing that like punks are about not wearing uniforms, right? Like that's what fascists do. So like I am not supposed to like look like a punk. That doesn't that's not what punk right. is. And and apparently that's something that's talked about. Yeah. Um, I'll watch it at some his, point. The Jason I know Jason Siegel. Siegel. Yeah, yeah, that's his character. I'll watch it. I know, and, I, and, I'm, his, and I'm sure I'll, I'll his think character. it's fine. Do you ever see How I Met Your Mother? Uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Okay, so that character in SLC Punk, he is an environmentalist. Right. And I think he became an environmental lawyer. Oh, I which could be is wrong, what his character but is. in How I Met Your yeah, Mother. That's funny. So I always saw that there was a parallel, like an inside joke, that only, yeah. you know, the 3,040 people who've watched SLC Punk. I've, boy, if there's only 3,000, all 3,000 of them have asked <laughs> me if I've seen it, though. I feel like that comes up to, like, at least every couple months. I, I get asked about that movie a lot. But there's a good scene in, this, in Salt Lake, I, still. But you, at least there was when I was there. You would never think so, except for that well, movie. Well, a part of punk is about being angry about... Uh, your environment, right? It's about being upset with a conservative status quo. And if there's anywhere there's a conservative status quo to be upset about, it's yeah. Utah. My, my theory was always that, like, Utah is a beautiful place, like, uh, in terms of, like, the mountains, the desert is super cool, right? The skiing, the hiking. It's a wonderfully beautiful place. And uh, so there are a lot of kids who grew up there as Mormons and then left the church, but they love Utah because it's beautiful and and there's reasons to love it. And so they stay in Utah and then a lot of them will just filter into Salt Lake. And so Salt Lake City itself has this like really vibrant underground community. There's like these great like beat bookstores and all these punks and this like anarchist community there. And so there's like a lot of cool stuff in Salt Lake because people have just kind of stayed in Utah because they love Utah. And so that, that's something that really, I, I don't know, I, I found a really welcoming community there, you know? It was a, it was a fun time. Yeah, I've never, I've never had like a, I've never gone to a punk show and not felt like I belonged. Yeah. I felt like I'm too old to be in the pit now. Sure. And yeah. And things like I'm that. There. Yeah. Oh my God, I think, I think the, the advent of the cell phone. Yeah. I would go to shows when I was in Baltimore, I'd go alone. Uh-huh. It was horrible before I could text. Yeah, now you can look, yeah, look like, at okay. something. Yeah, yeah. it's like it, like I always think, okay, oh, the people around me, they're not. They just think I'm waiting for a friend. Right. Like, yeah. oh, I'm texting this person. Yeah. I'm not alone because I'm a loser. Yeah. I'm alone because my friend got stuck in traffic. In, in Ithaca, there's this organization called Ithaca Underground, and they put on a bunch of shows, including punk and and hip hop and noise and all kinds of different stuff. And so I will uh, I volunteer for them doing photo. 
And that basically, that's perfect because I get to go to any of the shows that I want to go. I get in for free because right. I'm a volunteer. And then I have a camera that I'm like, I have a task to do during the show. It's like, I, it's fine that I'm alone. I can go talk to people for two seconds and be like, okay, I got to go take pictures. And then if I don't have pictures to take, I can just sit there and scroll and look through the pictures that I've taken. And it's the best. It's, then I get the full concert experience, but I always have something to do. So I never feel like I'm just sitting there. Like it's, uh, it's. That's like my ideal 30-year-old concert experience. I was a sports reporter for a while in Maryland and Pennsylvania. Uh, I would always get in for, for free. But, I, you know, I'd, I'd go there to a game, mm-hmm. usually high school or college, and sometimes pro. But I go there by myself and everything. So that prepared me to go to concerts alone. I feel like I go into this reporter moment like, oh, no, I'm just taking notes. Right. I'm doing yeah. my job here. Yeah. And, you know, I've got a beer in you my hand. act and, like you belong. Yeah, and, and get kicked in the head. But that's fine. But it's part of the job. It's a good job. Yeah. But I, I saw uh, – you ever listen to Cursive? Yeah, I have. I saw Cursive. They opened for Alkaline Trio okay. in Baltimore. Cool. And, or Towson. Cursive's like this really, and it's just an indie. Yeah. I think it's, I don't know, if, I, I, probably emo. I'm, I'm trying, I definitely know but the it's name. It's like a, not screamo, but they do, they, do, they do emote. Right, sure. But they do the coolest thing. They open the show by just going right into the music. Uh-huh. And they must have played like 12 or 14 songs. First words they said to the audience you know, in a dialogue was, uh-huh. thanks, good night. Uh-huh. And they walked off, and I, I just, like, because it took, like, two or three songs to realize what they did. Yeah. And you're like, I wonder if they're going to say anything now. Nope. Yeah, nope. Just still it going. was awesome. That's cool. And, like, that's just, I don't know, it's one of, one of my favorite moments from a punk show. I like that. Very cool. I mean, going back into comedy, like, uh, yeah. what, do you, what do you hope to get out of it? You know, I don't know. I, that probably changes all the time, too. I love the act of it so much. Like, I love being on stage. And uh, I love playing with an audience. That's my favorite thing to do. Like, I, I'm all, I think I'm only all right at writing material, but I think that I love to, like, make a framework for myself to play. And so I think that my, at this point in my life, I think that my end goal with comedy is to just kind of, like, keep having the chance to do it. I want to just, I, I love uh, any time the opportunity arises to just go and play. And if I can be, like, a guy that people know who does comedy, I think that that's probably good enough for me. I've got other kind of creative outlets that I'm working on that that are maybe the new places where I'm looking for uh, some other kind of like grander success. But I, I think that I am somebody who needs. I'm addicted to being on stage. I'm sure yeah. this is something that like a lot of comedians have said or relate to and stuff. And you know, at any level, right? I I, I really believe getting that laugh is a drug. It is. And you have the attention. Yeah. Are you an only child? No, I'm the youngest. Well, okay. here I'm the youngest, but there's an eight-year gap between me and my next brother. Okay. Up. So I was alone in the house most of the time. Okay. And and yeah, I th- I just I, I you're right. Like if I go a while not being on stage, I do feel the difference. And yeah. then when I get up there, and like start to play and like start to get some laughs, like that's just it's the best. And like I uh, psychologically, I I need that every once in a while. I just know that you know. You know, and, and I produce a lot of shows, so I'm I'm fortunate enough to be on stage a lot. Mm-hmm. If there's like a Friday or Saturday where I'm not on stage, I get sad. Yeah, like I just go into this funk where I'm like, okay, now what? Right, you and get what used do to I do? Did I make somebody level. mad? Yeah, I, I right. just, Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, totally. Do you get into that at all? Like, yeah, I. It's tough because there's so many other things in my life now oh, that's, that I. That's right. Well, it, it, I, and I don't mean that. Like, I all I mean is it's it, it's harder to pinpoint. Like, there are definitely times when I feel that way, and it's hard to pinpoint it to a specific thing. Because, like, 
when I was in New York, I could pretty directly track how I was feeling to how what my relationship with comedy was because it was the biggest thing yeah. in my life. And now it's like, well, it might just be because like I've got this big project at work I'm behind on and that's kind of stressing me out or like I haven't had I haven't gotten out to see any buddies in a couple weeks because I've been so busy at home or I've got to like take care of the backyard which is the most boring thing in the world but then when it's taken care of it feels so good you know like so it's Those it's punk guys in Utah yeah I'm like you no they well, the, it's actually a huge to- topic of conversation among punks in Utah because there's a drought and so environmental punks they always want to talk about not watering your yard so that it is actually a big uh, I, I'd be a good punk for them too um I feel that way sometimes, and I, I think there are times when I probably feel down and get into that funk without realizing that it's because I haven't been on stage yeah. in a while. Like, sometimes it probably is, but I'm like, man, I feel so sad because I, like, lost uh, three games in a row in Smash Brothers Online, right? And, I, and it's probably just because I haven't been, like, feeding myself right. socially the way I need to, but I, I displace it onto this some other thing, you know? It's like, oh, I'm so mad that, like... Our cabinets seem to be out of line a little bit, or something, you know. And and so there's probably yeah, it's probably in there, and I just like put it somewhere else. Maybe you should get your daughter into stand up right now. Yeah. So it'll kind of curtail any of those tendencies. I've thought about doing a podcast with her. That'd be great. Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to do like a music podcast with her, where I, I'll play a song and then we'll talk about it. I was kind of waiting until she could like talk and articulate, but I think that like probably she's at. A, at about that point, is she now. two or three? She's three. She turned okay. three in October, and she's you know she's really smart and like will ask for stuff that she wants and will talk about things and likes uh, music. You know Paul Rust. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he yeah, has that love. band, Don't Stop or We'll Die. Yeah. I have this playlist on my phone of music that isn't kids' music, but it's appropriate for kids, right? So we're not just like listening to like the My Little Pony soundtrack yeah. over and over in the car. So it's like. Like, they I might am. be giants. Well, sure. Okay, I mean, there's yeah. great music on there. They have yeah. some really nice harmonies. It's my favorite. But, uh, I'll have to get married and dance to that song. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whatever song it is. Yeah, you, you know, know what I'm well, talking that about. That one song, oh, we all know. <laughs> it's all, so good. Listen, all My Little Pony fans, we all know the one you mean. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it's like they might be giants, and, like, there's the kinks on yeah. there, right? Stuff like that. So there's a bunch of stuff that's, like, just, like, fun and okay for kids, but still, like, good music that I like. And I've got a bunch of Don't Stop or We'll Die on there. And there's a song called Simon's Cube, and it's just a dumb, weird Paul Rust song, just this really weird Don't Stop or We'll Die song. And she got like, it's her favorite song. She asks for it over and over. She gets mad if I won't play it for her. Jeez. And then she sits in the back and sings along to, sings every word along to Simon's Cube by Don't Stop or We'll Die. It's wild. It's the coolest thing. But so I don't know. I got, I lucked out. I got a, I, I got a cool kid. I got a funny kid. But you've got a podcast now, music you can find, right? I have a, yeah, I have a music podcast I, I do uh, uh, mostly weekly. Uh, where I kind of talk about the the most recent releases from the previous uh, Friday. Is that to keep you honest to yourself? Like, okay, make sure to listen to music. Uh, n- sorta. So here's it. It's partially so that it, it's a little bit performative. So it sort of scratches that itch for me that if if I don't get a chance to get on stage, I at least got to like perform into a microphone. So that's a big. That's a part of it. I was lis- I just I, I do that with music anyway. Where like it's been a ritual for for the last six or seven years that every Friday when new albums come out, I'll I'll spend the first hour or so of the workday not working. So hopefully my uh, I'll assume that my boss isn't <laughs> listening to this. Right. I'll just l- kind of gather. Okay, what are the albums that came out today that I'm going to want to listen to this week? And I'll kind of gather them into a playlist and work my way through them. And when I moved up here, I just had less people to talk to music about as much as I wanted to talk about music. And I was talking to, like, my sisters-in-law about music, 
And I realized, I got to the, because like sometimes they would like humor me and, and I like some music that they like and I would talk about it with them. But I, I definitely realized that they did not want to talk about it as much as I, I would right. like start these conversations and I could tell that they were getting annoyed. So I was like, all right, for, for their sake, I'm going to start a podcast so that I can talk about new music to nobody, essentially, <laughs> instead of annoying my sisters-in-law. Right. So that's, that's really where that, or how, how that all started. I just, I, I had the equipment already and uh, just, just put it, put it in, put it down, started doing it. That's pretty cool. For comedic influence, like, sure. who'd, who'd you listen to? Uh, what got you? What got you? Yeah, you know, got that bug. Well, when when I, wh- while I was doing comedy, the so I guess I don't know like beforehand. You know, yeah. there, like I definitely liked Jim Gaffigan a lot before I was doing stand up, and you know a handful of other comics of that era. I guess like I, um, Dimitri Martin, I l- listened to and watched a lot bef- even He's before. He's so much I was better when you watch. Yeah, you or you, when you that, can see his like the stuff. Yeah, that he does, did. Uh, yeah. I, I've never had an album of his. I wonder yeah. if he's got the large pad. If like if he makes an album, like I, he must he, leave those parts he, he out. He has to. Yeah, I don't know. I I have listened to some of his his albums, and I guess I haven't thought about it. He must though. Yeah. So those were in, those were comics I liked before I started doing comedy. When I got into comedy, I can I can definitely say that the biggest. I mean, I think Paul F. Tompkins is is for sure one of the one of my favorite comics. I I went back and played this clip for my wife from a comedy death ray there's this comedy death ray comp album that's on youtube or on on spotify and he has this bit that includes him talking about the people who dress up as superheroes on like uh, hollywood boulevard in la and he talks about this guy who dressed as freddy krueger who had actual knives and stabbed somebody and it was like this real thing that happened and it's a very funny bit and i wanted to like play that for my wife and while i was listening to it i had forgotten I just straight up stole my style from Paul F. Tompkins. Yeah. Like I was listening yeah. to it, and I was like, my delivery, the way I play, is like so similar. And I had forgotten how influenced I was by him. So that's a big one. Rory Scovel, I'm he's a huge so fan of. Uh, he's so strange, and like I love his like high concept stuff that he does. Uh, I got to see him in uh, in Brooklyn while I was living in New York, and it was it was so funny. He did this thing where like he started the show where he like picked up the mic out of the mic stand and then was just holding the cord of the mic. So the mic was like dangling down and he was like not talking into the microphone. And he just started the show and went for like seven minutes at least just like not talking into the microphone. And then eventually had to like reference that he did not know how to get out of the bit that he just had started on a whim at the beginning. <laughs> it's really funny. So I, I like he, him Was he known at that point? I mean, he had had a couple specials. He had been on All Conan right. a handful of times. So yeah, he was definitely somebody that like would draw a crowd in New York City. You know, the first time I knew about Rory was it was on Conan. Yeah, and you probably know. I think he was at the Apollo. And, oh yeah, and he did stand up when he he walked around the crowd, he walked, like on the armrests in the. He, he yeah. straddled yep. this this uh, audience member yep. on the armrests, yep. and he just did his material while yeah. this guy was looking at his crowd. That was a great set, so good. Yep. And then he was in another one. I forget the guy he was with, mm-hmm. but Conan came out and he goes, "Listen." <laughs> This never happens. I really apologize, but we double booked the comedian. So we're going to let them come out and do their time. And the two comedians came out. Rory was one of them. It's John Doerr is the other guy. Yeah. yeah. And 
it was obvious they had, they'd practiced this because so you heard good. all the punchlines. Yeah, it's and amazing, right? It was so right? well done. One of the best, that's one of the best late night performances who, ever. Who thinks of you, doing You're that? right, like if you're listening, it sounds like chaos, but then your brain picks up the punchlines yeah. from it trades like left back to right, and forth. Left to right. It's so perfect. It's so good. I don't know where they worked that out yeah, or if they did, I'm it's sure. It's amazing. It's a, yeah, that's a really good so one. Good. Those two guys have done a couple of funny things together on Conan, so they're, they're so, so good. I don't know. That, I don't know if this is a, if if I should say a, com, a comedian who I don't like that much anymore. I don't care. But uh, Bill Cosby? No, no, no. Uh, I, and this isn't anything like he's okay. not canceled or anything. Pete Holmes, mm. I like still, but not. I, I think his albums, "Nice Try the Devil" and "Impregnated with Wonder," are great, and they were a huge influence on me. And I, and I saw him and met him at the comedy club in Buffalo, at the Helium in Buffalo, and that was important for me to see. Part of my style I draw from him is like what I've been saying about playing with the audience. So like I, I saw from him that was, like he does not construct tight jokes. That's not his style. He just is like he's energetic and, and will like go in any direction the joke needs to go and, and then has this framework that he can he knows where the jokes are within this framework and then he's free to do whatever he wants on that playground. I really have a lot of fun in that style. So I, I've, I drew a lot of influence from, from him from, from that, I think. I didn't like his HBO show very much. Oh, no? No, and, and I don't know that I could ever like, listen to a whole episode of You Made It Weird ever again. It's, I've listened I've to a few of, of those. They're so long. I used to listen to them all the time, like almost every week. And, and I kind of, so I've it's definitely, a lot of religion. I thought, yeah, which was, see, here's the thing. It was important for me at the time because I was like, still pretty recently ex-Mormon. And so, like, hearing him talk about some of that, like, philosophy stuff and Ram Dass and all that, that was a, a little bit important for me as, as somebody trying to find my feet in, like, what do I believe in again, you know? So, so that, that element of it, too, is, was kind of important. But, I didn't, you know, I don't subscribe to it anymore. I, so I don't know who he's been interviewing lately. I haven't listened to uh, him either, of it in years. Not a while. But, yeah, so those, those, are, those are big ones. Conan is a huge – I love Conan a lot. He's already come up. John Stewart was huge for me when he was on. You know that was a uh, uh, that was big, and st- you know th- th- those are the handful. I think Tig Notaro I like. I'm very different from her, but I like her comedy a ton. You got similar um, build. That's true. Yeah, we yeah we have, our breasts are about the same size <laughs> um, now at least. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So those are them, I guess. What was your worst show? Worst show. Remember that? Yeah. When I was in Rochester, I went to a. I don't even remember how I got mixed up in it, but there was like a German-speaking club of like people who would have meetings to speak German to each other, and like a bunch of that them. That sounds nefarious. Well, it was just like a bunch of Germans who lived in Rochester, and then people who had lived in Germany who wanted to practice. And I, I don't remember. Like, I think I met a guy who was like, "Oh, you should come out to this thing," because there's this German guy who I, I was like helping him. So many, so many. I, I can't remember how all this stuff comes together. But there was this German guy who I met. And then I would go help him at his, like, barn, and then I helped him sell stuff on Craigslist because he was, like, buying and selling stuff, but he didn't know how to use Craigslist. He was, like, buying and selling stuff at auctions. That's how people die. Well, when I was at his barn, I was like, I really hope this guy doesn't murder me. (laughs) I texted somebody right before. Like, I went and parked in this rural area. I parked at this barn, and I texted somebody, and I was like, I'm going to go help this guy at a barn. If you don't hear from me in a couple hours, like, send help or something. Like, this could be it. So, uh, but, but he was a super nice guy. Still is a really nice guy. Sweet man. And, uh, you and stay in I, touch with him? 
Uh, every once in a while. Do you really? Yeah, sometimes. Right. It's, it's been years, but like every once in a while he pops up. Like he'll text or I'll text or he'll say something on Facebook. Like maybe once or twice a year or something like that. But I went to this German thing and there was this uh, an American woman, but she had lived in Germany for a long time, so she spoke grammatically very good German. Um, her her accent was very American sounding, but grammatically her German was very good. And they were hosting a German night at a Polish church, which I guess it's a pretty German thing to do yeah. is to just in. Uh, invade Polish territory <laughs> and um and, yeah, so they were doing this big dinner, and they were going to have, like, dancing, like, polka dancing and stuff like that. And they uh, and a band, I think, like, a live, like, German band was going to play, and they'd be wearing Dirndls and Lederhosen or whatever. And they were like, you should come and do comedy at the thing, because they heard that I did comedy. And they were going to pay, and so I was like, yeah, I'll go do that. And so it was at this, it was during a dinner, and it was in this huge, like, like kind of gymnasium style, like like a multi-purpose room in a church, you know. But it was like almost as big as like a small basketball court, like a high school yeah. gym kind of, on a little bit smaller than that. And so I was on the stage, and the meal was or the set was during dinner, so everyone was eating, and the age group was like four through ninety, and so I couldn't do. There, I couldn't do any blue material because right. there were a lot of kids. I don't do a ton of blue material anyway, but like I had to do like really soft material. And then it was also like old people, and the acoustics in the room were awful, like horrible. Like I could not tell if anybody could hear me at all through the whole set. And I was on the stage, and in between me and the closest audience member was the entire dance floor. So I was on stage like. 30 feet oh, no. from, from the first row. And it was just this gulf of emptiness. Forget and crowd work. It was awful. And they were so and it was so big and echoey and everyone was just still talking because they couldn't hear me. And so they were just talking and eating dinner. So I just had to like shout jokes that were not my favorite jokes out into this crowd of like 150 people who were just maybe didn't even know I was there the whole time. And I went up and I did the time, I think. I don't know how much I did. I think I did about the right amount of time. And How uh, long did they want? I think 10 or 15. Okay. It was 10 or 15. And I think I did about it. And they gave me a free meal and some money and um, a medal. <laughs> they a gave medal me a, for what? I don't Surviving? know. They gave me, they had these medals that they... I don't know if they made them for all the performers, and they're like, here you go. I don't know why, but I still have it somewhere. There's just this medal <laughs> with, like, the German flag for, like, the, for the ribbon. In terms of a show that uh, how well I feel I did, yeah, yeah. that was the worst. Okay. These are the worst circumstances and the worst performance and the worst audience reaction. It was awful. Do you remember? Uh, I mean, I'm sure you do. But you don't work blue a whole lot. Yeah, uh, not a lot. And we did a show together at the pizza place in Cortland. Yes. And... This is one of my oh, favorite stories. Sure. And correct me if I'm wrong and yeah. misinterpreting this, but Charlie, I don't know if you're closing the show, but I don't think I was. Yeah, maybe. I think Deidre was. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. there probably is like 30 people there. Yeah. It's a and good crowd we're, we're kind of lined up in a hallway. Yeah. And the bathrooms are behind us. Right behind the, f- the audience. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. The bathrooms yeah. behind the audience. Right. The, the front doors are behind the comedians. Right. So you're on stage. Maybe you're in your last five or six minutes. Yeah. And you know it's it's almost 100% clean and you start this joke and you said listen I don't have a lot of penis jokes or something like that uh-huh. and or, I don't have a lot of dick jokes or whatever now the comedians are behind you and we we have full view of the door you are the only person in that restaurant uh-huh. who can't see the door yeah 
in walks this guy with his maybe four-year-old kid needing to use the bathroom. So just as you're winding up, I don't have a lot of dick jokes, you get a loud laugh because this kid is walking right by you. They had to walk by me to get to the bathroom. It's one of my favorite moments. Oh, man. Yeah, that was wild. I don't remember what the joke was. I wish I could I remember either. it. I, I, I remember that there was that joke that I did a couple times. But yeah, oh man, it I remember matter. the timing of that was bonkers. I, it was like yeah. we planned it. Yeah, that was great. And the dad didn't care. The kid didn't care, obviously. But everybody else, you could have walked off that time yeah. and you'd have stole the show right there. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. That Cortland Pizza Place. That was such a funny setup because it was like... Literally, the audience was sitting in, like, a hallway. Yeah. And, like, there was a pretty good crowd, and they were packed in. Like, it was, it was a pretty decent little environment. But, like, the lights were off in, like, the hallway where the audience was, but then behind the comedian where the pizza place was, right? Full. So it's yeah, like, it's, yeah. so if they were, like, looking past the comedian, they would just be seeing, like, all of the pizza. Yep. Just all, it was such a funny... And then if they were to want to leave the restaurant, they'd have to walk by the comedian to leave. Yeah. It was... It was the best. Yeah. I couldn't leave. Or to get pizza, whatever. Yeah. You, there was just they were just like effort. stuck back there. And like, this is how glamorous being a comedian is, especially locally. We got paid in pizza. Yeah. Pizza was, and tips. And it was okay pizza. Last time we just saw there, no one came. Oh, man. Not one person. Yeah. So it's we just... tough in Cortland to keep something sustained. Well, they didn't do anything. They mm-hmm. So we gave him all the flyers and he didn't put it... He goes, oh, yeah, it probably would have helped if I put the flyers up. Yeah. We're like, yeah. Yeah. A little. <laughs> That'll do it. And uh, so... It, it wouldn't hurt, at no. least. So we got there and it was just me. Seth Ruddick, Mike Terry, and James Fedq. Yeah. And all the chairs are put up there. We're ready. And we just looked at each other like, fuck it. You guys want to do it? Like, yeah. So we did it. So everybody did like whatever, 10, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. We had a fun time. We yep. got paid pizza. I mean, it was a dead night there anyway. So I left and just froze maybe a pie and a half. <laughs> That's glamorous life. That's comedy. Yeah. That'll do it. I do want to ask you one thing. Sure. Uh, I have so much respect for you, and you, you're very thoughtful, and that's why I am going to saddle right up to you and say, <laughs> I love it that you love Taco Bell. Oh, man. Yeah, Taco Bell's the How best. How great a restaurant is that? It's my, it is uh, the restaurant I go to the most. No, do no you get any, he- any feedback, like, like negative, like, why do you go? Why do you no, go? No, I don't think that I do. I think I get a lot of people who are surprised about it, maybe. but That, it's, that you like it or yeah. that anybody likes it? Yeah, but those people just maybe have, they've just never been, right? Yeah. Or maybe they just don't know what to order. I think Taco Bell can be really gross, but it's so easy to order delicious food for so cheap. Yeah. It's, and, like, I'm a vegetarian, and, and people always make, like, the joke, like, oh, it's not real meat anyway, right? Like, that's, like, the joke that people always make when I say I go there. But, like, it's cust- it's so customizable that legitimately it's the best fast food place for a vegetarian or vegan. Is it just easy to order? It's that so way? easy. Okay. Yeah, and they've, kept, they've made it even easier. My mom recently switched to vegan because um, for, for health, health stuff, kind of. She, I, like, showed her, I, like, pulled up this thing online on Taco Bell's website <laughs> that's, like, look, these are your vegan options. This, you, all you have to do is pick this item and tell them to make it this way and they'll give it to you vegan. Oh, no kidding. And I didn't like, know they did that. All, pretty much anything can be anything that has meat on it, you can put beans on instead. And then anything that has cheese or sour cream on it, you can just put on like pico or, or like guac instead. So like anything can be vegetarian or vegan and it's so cheap and, and like, I know that's not like the healthiest food in the world, but like it's just as healthy as any other fast food place. I, I think it's. I think I read like a study. High fiber, high protein. Yeah, I, and stuff. I read it. No, I read a study. I, I read, read, a read, headline, read a headline. Sure, but I. I would imagine that Taco Bell's probably up there I think as far as healthiest yeah. fast food compared, place. Yeah, compared to the other things oh, in its price category. It's fast food. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's so you got to take that. But like, right. 
Wendy's got rid of the salad bar. Right. You know, so it's like you're not going there. Yep. Uh, you can get the salad Plus, there. I mean, yeah, the, I, the only salads that they have at Wendy's, I would have to tell them to take the meat out of it. Or, well, I think they, they make... Oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, but, but even that, like, I hate... I don't like to get a meat item and just have them remove meat. I want something to be... I feel like I'm wasting money if I'm like, take out an ingredient. Yeah. Give me 80% of the dish and I'll still give you 100% of the money. But like, so yeah. So Taco Bell, you know, I get the uh, I get the cheesy gordita crunch and I, I put in the refried beans instead of meat. Or I get the quesarito and I put black beans instead and it's delicious. The quesarito with black beans is one of the best items uh, I, in fast food history. I hope quesarito never leaves the it's menu. It's so good. Volcano, I'll tell you, volcano burritos left. Yeah. My buddy, I think he almost killed himself. Have you been... There's, have you been been a recent, there's a new thing. So they took off the double-decker taco, right? And everyone yeah. was mad about that. But they just brought in the double-stacked tacos. Yeah, I think uh, I had one on Friday. They're great. They're a yeah, dollar. And like the one with I the was, Reaper that, Ranch. I, it's great. Uh, the one, I, I get the Chipotle. Okay, yeah. The that Chipotle one was also cheddar, great. Maybe? Those are the two good and ones. The, so, the nacho one, or there's like a something crunch. Yeah. That one's not as good. But the I other was, two are great. Oh, wow. Okay. So I think I was going to get that one. And then yeah. I went. Uh, yeah, no. Skip, skip the, the line. The, I mean, the crunch one's fine. Yeah. For a dollar, it's okay. But like the other two are great. Well, I didn't see on the menu they didn't have the price. So yeah. I figured, oh, it's going to be $3, whatever. $1.89 what or whatever. The, yeah. I was like, it's, okay. It's wild. Easy. It's so good. No, I, I just, I'm, I'm such a fan of Taco Bell. I, you know, I go uh, on my birthday every year since I was, I think I was 20. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, my, my lesbian ex-girlfriend took me to Taco Bell. Her stepmom was so pissed. Uh-huh. She's like, he picked the restaurant. <laughs> like, I, I, I wanted to go somewhere else. <laughs> He's a cretin. Yeah. He well. chose Taco Bell. But at the time, and this was like 2000. Four, I think. Uh-huh. Math checks out. You know, you can get two Nacho Bel Grande meals. Yeah. They were each 601. Yeah. So you get 1202. That's a that's a fantastic That'll date night. There's uh, at BYU, there's a Taco Bell on campus in like the student union building. And that Taco Bell had a secret item on the menu that I don't think any other Taco Bells have where you'd go up and you would order the Mike Black. That was the name of the burrito. And it was. Uh, I think this was before the quesarito was there, but they had the beefy five-layer burrito, which is kind of the same. And it was like a beefy five-layer burrito, so it's a burrito, a layer of cheese, and then another layer of, uh, and then another tortilla. And then on the inside, it had beans, the spicy potatoes, more cheese, and then the like Baja sauce, which they don't have anymore. And it was a dollar twenty-nine for that item. And I would just go for lunch, and I'd be like, "Give me two Mike Blacks grilled," and it was the best lunch. And it would be like four bucks. For this amazing, and I wasn't even, I wasn't vegetarian at that time, but it was like this, just such a delicious item. It was so good. And like the idea of ordering this like secret thing that like, there's this this like legend that someone's like, have you heard of the Mike Black special? I'd be so nervous that say it i just yeah just because i don't like, know it's it like i get one guy go what are you fucking who's talking that college about? confidence you know you just gotta go up burger just, King pal. like yeah no i went up and i just said the mike black and there's a button for it like you'd get your receipt and on the receipt it would say mike black and or maybe even mike black special and and uh, that was it i wonder if mike black worked there he, he must, must have been yeah. a guy who made it and he put it in and just stayed on that menu so it's, that's his legacy it was a secret menu I, could if you it's imagine not still that there, i would be so sad like, it would like, break my heart there's like a very good chance i'm never going to have kids yeah and whatever and my cats you know i'll maybe sure, i'll die before them. <laughs> but sure. like you know what hopefully and but like how awesome would that legacy be to be like yeah this guy he's single yeah he's depressed he's lonely but he invented he's got a signature a item special yeah I've always a signature oh, item. I've always wanted that. That'd be awesome. It bothers me when they do remove a menu yeah, item. Like, it's, right. just keep it there. I think that they should at least still make it. Yeah. I get like if they got to clear out room in like on the thing. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, you got all the cool. ingredients it's all, there. They're all the same. There's it's like, like the six total bit. ingredients. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Oh, God. Well, I was going to go to uh, Pizza More and uh-huh. get pizza, but probably going to Taco Bell for yeah, dinner tonight. There. Pizza More is pretty good, too, and they have really good Salvadoran food, so I'm not going to uh, tell you not to go there. I don't have a, a gift card for Pizza More. That's true. If you got a gift card, got to use it. Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming down here. Yeah, uh, hey, thanks over, for whatever. coming up here. Uh, but, yeah, uh, how can people follow along with your comedy uh well i guess if you follow me on uh twitter or facebook my comedy i pretty much just only post about on facebook so just i I, the probably the best way is to follow you on facebook and (laughs) and chances are that uh yeah i do do have you uh on what uh, the beagle pub yeah we got yeah Uh, it's it's gonna be i'm gonna do the the poster yeah uh well before this airs yeah and uh but that's on march 5th so that'll be the next time do you you know uh john deming's on there did i tell you about him no he's he's a mormon Yeah, he right. I saw that. Why yeah. did I see he, something in his bio reference yeah. to it? And then I looked at his Facebook profile, and he's got the Salt Lake City Temple behind him. Yeah, I'd like to. Yeah, I'd like to talk to him about it. He's, um, you know, I not, not that you've cast any aspersions to anyone. No, whatever, yeah. But he's super open-minded about yeah. everything. Loves discussion. A lot and of yeah. yeah. I mean, there's like, there's a lot of a lot of room for that in the church. I think there's a, a lot of the church could definitely use some growth. But I, I don't know, I've definitely known a ton of Mormons who are very progressive. Just, I don't know, it's not a surprise to say a lot of Mormons right. are good people, right? Like, of course a lot of Mormons are good people. So. I think I'm going to introduce you, because you'll go right before him. Okay. And I'm going to introduce you as, this guy is the guy who denounced the Mormon church mm-hmm. and the faith and doesn't believe in God, and then you do your thing, and then I'll introduce John the other way. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. And people we'll, will know. I'm just going to, my goal is to start a comedy holy war. Yeah, that's, the audience really wants to feel comfortable, and the best <laughs> way to do it is by pitting the religious against the atheists on stage in front of them. Yep, it, especially yeah. when you when you and choose a religion nobody really knows next comedian is a lion, right? <laughs> yeah. And Coliseum joke, I guess, is what I was doing. Hey. Works for me. Yeah, sure. All right, I'm going to go to Taco Bell. All right, let's do it. All right, thanks, man. <laughs> See ya. Peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in.